Welcome to the latest Seahawks Draft Blog live stream. Rob Staten joined by the brilliant Jeff Simmons today to get through some big topics involving the Seahawks. If you want to join in via the live chat, feel free. Uh, chuck in a super chat if you've got a question for Jeff or I or a general statement that you want to make, and we will jump straight to them. But let's get straight into it, Jeff. I think the big talking point with this, well, there's two kind of big talking points. One of them is the defense, which we'll come on to. The other one is Geno Smith. What do you make of Geno Smith's emphatic start to the season? <laughs> it's one of the most shocking football stories I've ever seen because I saw someone was kind of giving you crap in the one of your threads, which I think is absurd. Anyone who was not doubting Geno Smith or sort of expecting this play from Geno Smith is, has to be out of their mind. I know there was a group of, couple of film people that thought Gino was a little better than his reputation was. But Gino's been a top five quarterback in the NFL in the first five weeks of the year. And I thought the team was going to be borderline unwatchable. No, like I thought they were going to be unwatchable. I'm not going to say borderline. I thought they were going to be terrible to watch on offense. I thought I've watched Gino Smith in the preseason. I've watched him play not just this preseason, the last couple of preseasons. And he just seemed like the most risk averse, low ceiling player. We saw him play games last year. So to see him play like a top five quarterback has just been shocking. And it's by far been the most fun part of the Seahawks season because, again, I went to the year just expecting him to be absolutely unwatchable on offense based on what I've seen. And each week I'm like, okay, Gino looks pretty good. And I keep expecting the bottom to fall out. But he played against the top 10 defense this week and was making throws that I just didn't know he was capable of making. And it's been really fun just to watch the contrast to like, Russell and how obviously Russell's a way better player than Gino was, but kind of the stuff Russell didn't do in the offense to see Gino do it and do it consistently. It's been not only surprising, but really enjoyable to watch just the offense of the Seahawks. Yeah. I think one of the things that's quite interesting is people are saying, I've seen it quite a lot on Twitter, Jeff, that he's managing the offense. Well, that he's, he's doing what he's supposed to do, but I think he's gone beyond that. I think he's, he's more than just a, a, a very productive game manager or point guard at this point. I mean, he the, the throws to Tyler Locker are a good example of that. He's made some really impressive throws that make you sort of sit up and go, wow, that was really good. And he's using the weapons well. You know, I was a bit worried that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett would disappear into a fantasy black hole for anybody who okay. plays fantasy f- football. That hasn't happened. The tight ends, for the first time in the Carroll era, are actually a weapon. It's a little bit inconsistent, isn't it? You know, one game, they're only throwing to tight ends. The next game, you won't see any of them. But they're involved in a way they haven't been before. The offense is what ranks number one in DVOA. And sometimes when you sort of see these things, Jeff, you go, that doesn't quite chime. Like if Seattle's defense was 18 to the minute, we'd go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But with watching the offense at number one, you think, well, actually, yeah. You know, I, I mean, having seen... And you see teams that you expect to be at the top, you know, the Chiefs, you know, maybe the Ravens with Lamar Jackson and maybe some of these other teams, the Bills, you expect them to be up there and you watch them and you think, well, actually, they've all of them have had moments where they've struggled a little bit or where they found themselves behind in games and they're the ones that were expected to be really good. Seattle's offense is a justified number one in DVOA and I can't help but feel, I mean, as much as, I'm, I don't know about you. I'm still very much in the think long-term aspect to this, but there has been a little part of me that's thought, what if this defense was just average? You know, what what could the Seahawks actually do this year? I'm not suggesting for a second they'd win a title or anything, but could it be a much better year than we all expected? Because right now it's the defense that's letting everything down. It's certainly not Gino and the offense. Yeah, if they had even bad defense, I think they'd be 4-1, and one, which is absolutely absurd to think about given what I thought this team was going to be, frankly, what their roster and their plan looked. But I, I think with average defense, they win the last game. They, they should have won the last game anyway. And what they did against Taysom Hill was just completely inexcusable and unbelievable how bad it was. And the Atlanta game was just terrible, terrible defense. And what they did against Marcus Mariota is completed like eight and nine passes his last two games. Just awful. So with I just think even with bad defense, they'd be four and one. And I don't think there's any scenario, if you talk to anyone, that this team could be four and one in their first five games. I, I thought I thought this team was just gonna be I think I thought the San Francisco was gonna be a lot the San Francisco game week two was gonna be a lot like what we were expecting. So yeah, it's been with regular defense, they'd be in the, even 18th, like you said, they'd be a playoff team this year. The NFC is really watered down. There isn't a lot of competition outside of like the top three or four teams. And the NFC West is outside of San Francisco has kind of fallen off the map a little bit. 
So, yeah, with Seattle's offense, which I know Geno's play is still a question, but a lot of things they do, in, I think, are sustainable. It's just the defense has been as bad as any defense I've ever seen before, and yet somehow I'm enjoying watching this team more than I have in the last few years. But, my God, this defense is holding them back. Without The way they played offense, there's no reason they should be 2-3. and three. Yeah, I imagine I can't imagine there's many times in NFL history where a team has scored 103 points in three games and only won one game, and they could have lost that even against Detroit. I mean, if it wasn't for the, for example, like the Tariq Woolen pick six, then that, there's every chance that Seattle would have lost that game the way that it went in the second half. So incredible, really. Um, I want to come back to the defense in a bit. Obviously, there's a lot to to dig into with that. But on the, staying with the topic of Geno Smith, I've seen. A lot, and I've talked about it a little bit this week as well. People are starting to talk about what what does the future hold now? Because Smith is on a one year contract. You know, people assume that he can be kept for as long as Seattle wants him, but his price is going up with every good performance. If you start talking extension with him now, you are, I suppose, negotiating with him at a, at a high point, and it, and it could be quite difficult. At the same time, he may take a given that he was fighting for a job not so long ago, just a few weeks ago, he might think. I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth for some guaranteed money for next year, especially if it's a decent contract. If it's if it's sort of a two or three year extension, maybe he thinks about it. Maybe he bets on himself. I don't know. The, the question I've got for you is, how do you view this? Is it just should they just wait and see, and and if they lose Gino in the off season, so be it, or should they be sitting down with him in the next few weeks and saying, how do we turn this one year cheap arrangement into more of a a two three year thing? Yeah, this is just such a crazy variable I was not prepared for. I was just – the whole thing made sense. Go out there, going in. Everything's set up for the rookie quarterback. They had two first. And now Gino has completely changed, like, their total conversation. And for me, I, I still would, would want to see more of a body of work. Um, it's only been five games, and it's been stuff I do think is sustainable, some of the things he's doing. But I don't think there's another. There's still 12 games left out of 17. I would want to see more of a body of work before I start thinking of extending them. And I think the danger is just recency bias. And with any extension, you're paying for what someone's going to do next. You're not paying for what they've done. So a dangerous mistake is seeing this five-game sample and being like, okay, Gino's now a $30 million quarterback. But we, we don't know. I think that's a very dangerous world to get in because you're still paying for what he's going to do next. So – Ultimately, I do think the best scenario, if Gino does maintain a comparable, I don't think he'll be a top three quarterback for the next 12 games. But if he does, he's going to be in line for a lot of money because there's just a lot of teams that – you talk about this a lot in your blog. There's going to be a lot of teams who need quarterbacks coming into this next year. And it's hard not to come and see Geno Smith and see what he's doing and want to put him in their offense because if you have the pieces around, I think Gino can be a very – capable quarterback right now but again he's 32 years old I don't think you want to bet him as your next franchise guy so I'm still in the camp as you need to be thinking of long term but yeah the situation is a variable that's going to be really interesting it's something that could really impact Seattle's planning if they screw this thing up I think it's a fascinating thought I wrote a little bit about it this week saying because the, the Seahawks don't actually have that much money. I mean, in, in fairness, the, the whole of the league is short on cap for next year. There's basically yeah. the Bears with $100 million, and then there's like everybody else is, is either over the cap or in the same kind of range as Seattle, which is $32 million. But it does mean that if you suddenly add Geno Smith even at $25 million, which is not totally really unrealistic because Jimmy Garoppolo signed for $28.5 million a year not so long ago. So he could easily use that and say, that's a negotiating point for me. Um, he's obviously a bit older than Garoppolo was, but again, that's the sort of the starting point if I was him. I mean, he may want to start at 50 and then end up at where Garoppolo is. I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. But I think they spent their money this year, Jeff, because they fully expected next year to have a rookie quarterback contract. I mean, they they have spent. I mean, they are they have got they're on the hook next year. Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams is $36 million in cap space combined. <laughs> even with Will Disley and Noah Fant, they're committed to $17 million. The two main receivers, they're committed to $31, $32 million. So they've spent a lot of money this year, I think because they thought our oh, quarterback is going to be earning $6 million on a rookie contract as, as yeah. you know, anywhere from like the first overall to the 10th overall pick. 
Um, and, the, and 6 million would be for the first overall pick. So even if they pick him at 10 instead, then it's going to be a lot cheaper than, than 6 million in, in terms of that year one hit. So I think they've planned for that. And like you say, they're now in this situation where they probably expected the offense to be a bit of a mess, get the quarterback and the defense maybe to be showing some progress and the complete opposite has happened. And you just wonder how they, they pivot or whether they just accept the situation and say, look, we're going to get to the offseason. If somebody offers Geno Smith $28 million, we wish him well, pat him on the back, say good luck with the Houston Texans or wherever he's going to go to, to be a, to be a star to having made a you know life-changing amount of money or whether they feel obliged to try and keep him. I, I do. I mean, I'd love for there to be a way, Jeff, to keep him and create the, I've called it the Alex Smith situation where you have... A quarterback of that kind of age, Geno Smith turned 32 on Monday. You you buy a bit of time. You you can bring in a rookie quarterback, but only put them in when they're ready, which is what the Chiefs did with Mahomes. I'd like to think that as talented as Mahomes is, he's probably benefited from that year of, of just sort of sitting and learning the offense and everything. And if the Seahawks could create that kind of a situation and then maybe even trade Geno Smith after the 2023 season and get anything back, you know, I'm not saying like a first round or like a fourth or something like that to, to get something in return, that would be a smart move. It's just, I don't know how you afford that and fix your defense because the defense, as we're going to come on to in a bit, it needs so much work, doesn't it, Jeff, that I'm not sure this is a feasible plan. They might have to stick to what they always intended to do, which is go and get that rookie quarterback. Yeah, I think they're going to have to play with some money. And I, I was looking at their cap table, same kind of thing, because I was thinking, okay, how do they fix this thing? And I think they're going to have to redo Jamal's contract or kind of put some funny money on there, maybe Quandre's. They're going to have to shed that cap number. And Jamal, they have a case. He's been injured three years in a row, and they can give him a lot of cash and lower that cap number because they're both, like you said, at $18 million next year. And then it's going to be interesting because – Right now, their defensive line is not transitioning well to this new scheme. They're getting crushed. Other than Al Woods, they're getting crushed up front in all these games. And KJ Wright has talked about on his radio show, his one hour a week, how a lot of the guys they have don't fit the kind of defense they're trying to run. They're playing one yard off the line. And what's why they're so bad against the run right now. So there's guys like Brian Monet who got a, an extension before this year and Quentin Jefferson and Puna, who's on the last year of his deal. If they stick with this defense, and that's a question for another, maybe later, but Puna's probably Puna's the highest player on the team right now. He's the highest paid guy. So the way he's playing in this defense, there's zero chance they're going to bring him back. And then Monet, Shelby Harris, Quinton Jefferson, they're all in the books for next year, but they're all set up where they, you can wipe out all his contracts and clear, I think it's like 10 to $12 million. I think it's a lot, actually, with Shelby Harris. You can wipe out a lot of money. So it's going to be interesting there because – those guys, Shelby Harris came from this defense, and he's he's got good numbers like as a pass rusher. But in terms of like a base defense guy, like they just don't have a lot of guys other than Al Woods, who's what thirty five years old. And like, how much can you keep expecting Al Woods to be your best player? It was probably the most alarming part of their roster outlook last year that their two best players were Al Woods and Quandre Diggs on defense. These guys are thirty plus, and there's no rookies, so they might have to wipe out their entire defensive line and wipe out Jamal's contract and play around, they're going to have to move some money around. Because like you said, I don't know what's going to happen with Gino's contract. I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of the guys. But if you look at their team, there's not a lot of guys that are going to have to sign, which is a good thing now, but also a sign of what we've talked about so many times in the last few years of how bad they've drafted. And Daryl Taylor and Brooks, those are conversations for next year, the year after the two off seasons from now, but, Taylor is certainly not a guy who looks like he's going to be worthy of an extension. So there's a lot of guys they need to sign, which is a good thing for them now, but it's also a horrible thing because they've drafted like shit. So I think they're going to have to play around some money. And I think Jamal's contract with him being injured two years in a row, three years in a row, I think that would be the place to start. But free agency is not where they want to be looking at this defense, unfortunately, because free agency is usually a place where you compliment you can't really build a defense in free agency. And when you do, that leaves you in a really rough spot down the road. The Seahawks did that at the end of like the Tim Russell era with all those veteran guys. And then they were left with jack shit. So they have a lot of work to do, both financially, both personnel wise. And it's there's no, the good part about what's going on is there's no false hope being happening. It's bad. And I don't see how it gets better for the rest of the season. 
Yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking at it now. So Shelby, the thing about Shelby Harris is I'm sure, and look, someone by all means, correct me if I'm wrong on this, I'm sure that they kicked some money from his contract this year into next year, which yeah. has meant that he's got any dead, dead cap hits at all. I think they could have just cut him out right. I mean, it will cost you 3.27 million in dead cap hit to move him on, but you will save 9 million. So there's definitely a big saving there just from Shelby Harris. You could, for example, you might be able to extend Uchenna and Wosu and lower his cap hit from 12.76 million. Cutting um, Gabe Jackson will save $6.5 million, which that seems like an absolute no-brainer at this point. Yeah, that's going to happen. So you can save, you know, you can probably realistically create another $20 million, I would say. Uh, but there is so much to do, and and if you cut those players, I mean, you are if you cut three players, you you've only got thirty contracted players for next year. So you are then, you know, yeah, you've got a few draft extra draft picks, so you can fill things out. But you have not got a roster. You have got to you've got to re- replace these guys if you're going to cut them, and and it's very difficult to do that. And I want to talk about this. I mean, you mentioned KJ Wright. I, I listened to his comments today, and he was. I mean, he's quite vociferous about the fact that the players were walking onto the field, not running. Yeah. I mean, that that to me seemed quite an interesting thing to say because even though he may not have intended to imply that, that implied like they didn't give a crap. Like they're just sort of walking out there. There's no fire in this team. And when they're playing as badly as this and you're kind of making those comments and it's such a respected player like KJ Wright, I raised an eyebrow at that. It made me wonder, is something going on here? Are the players not having this scheme... Are they are they feeling demotivated in some way? Is, is, are they just lost the plot? I mean, it looks chaotic to me, Jeff, on defense. As good as the offense has looked. I'll come back to this in a sec because I've seen we've got a super chat from Slacky Hero. What Gino is doing is such a huge indictment on what Wilson did in Shane Waldron's offense. To be honest, starting to worry we lose Shane more than Gino. I I, put, I wouldn't worry too much about that because even when because the Seahawks have had some good offenses under Pete Carroll, uh, you know the Marshawn years for example, and and listen, Daryl Bevel never got a job having I mean he never got the credit for developing Wilson of, of any kind and and never got the credit for anything he got like a couple of interviews after the Super Bowl and that was it. So I'm not sure that teams are going to be rushing to get Shane Waldron after one year of success in Seattle. I, I don't think you need to worry about. But if he continues to do well, then it's it's going to become a bit of an issue. But I'm a bit like with Gino. I'm kind of still a little bit of a, a, way, a Waldron skeptic. I need to see a bit more than six games or five games because they didn't do jo- Jack. They didn't score a point against the Niners. So, you know, let's let's sort of. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Uh, but going back to to the defense, and we'll kind of pivot to that now, Jeff. Um, it, it just looks like a mess. I mean, I've never seen. You said it's one of the worst defenses you've ever seen. I've never seen a defense look as if it's it's actively choosing not to rush the passer from the edge. It can. It almost seems. I know that someone pointed. Well, they've got pressure percentage. This is quite. It's quite decent, and, and that's fine. I, you know, I've had a look. They're blitzing in the middle of the pack. They're not blitzing heavy to sort of generate that pressure. Um, but I never see Boya Mafe or Daryl Taylor, and and, and most has the occasional flash, but there's no. There's not a consistent edge rush ever. Like I don't think I've seen another team, even the like, other teams that have got bad defenses, they'll have one guy who can kind of like rush the edge from time to time, and you think, okay, there you go. It's incredible to me. They don't have the guys up front to play because they're all grading terribly. They all none of them know what they're doing. The linebackers are part exposed and part rubbish. You've got your your edge rushers who are just complete, and that's the frustrating thing for me, Jeff, because. I came into the season thinking, oh, wow, can't wait to see Daryl Taylor. Can't wait to see Boya Mafe. Can't wait to see Yuchenna and Wosu. And, and it, they kind of feel wasted. Like, that should be better than it is so far. And then you've got, you know, Tariq Willem playing fantastically well for a rookie at corner. But then your safeties, it's like, oh, you know, especially Quandre Diggs. He's walking out there. He looks like he's given up on plays. He looks like he's mailing it in. I mean, he, he he talks the talk and calls people out in, in, in meetings. Has that upset a few people? But then if you're going to call people out, you can't be doing what you did against Taysom Hill on Sunday. So I'm just looking at this, and I, and I don't know whether to blame Carol, her, the players, all of them, the scheme. Again, everything. Is it just everything's a disaster? And if it is, do you double down on it and say, well, we're going to be bad all year, but benefit in the long term and it maybe never happen? Are you going to rebuild the entire unit to fit to get players in who can play this scheme and it may never work? Or are you kind of just going to go back to what the coach knows and go with that and the fits the players that you've got? But if you do that, what does that mean for Clint Hurt and Sean Desai? Because you've brought them in to run a different scheme. It's such a fascinating conversation right now. And 
I don't know if you heard Richard Sherman this week, but he was advocating them to scrap this defense and go back to what they know. And I don't think they're going to do that after five games, but it just leaves a lot of questions. And I, I'm right with you. I, it's hard to know where the blame begins because like just from a concept standpoint, it made sense what they were doing, switching to a scheme that's worked, give the quarterbacks trouble. And they seem to have some personnel fits, but they've, I don't know if it's Clint Herter or it's the personnel or there's some things that are just pretty clear. It's some, a lot of their players just aren't making any impact. And like Puna Ford, he's not a superstar or anything. He's not a Pro Bowl level player, but he's been pretty consistently solid and even good for three years in his career. Four years, I think he got an extension. And he is completely devalued. They've gone away. This whole scheme and what they ask of him goes against what his own skill set is. And they've turned him into basically rubbish is a great way to great word for it because he's been absolutely, he hasn't done anything on the field this year. And he's been one of their better players in that old under front and what they were doing before when he was penetrating up the field. And Taylor was a guy last year who really flashed. And I, I just, he was getting losing snaps to that guy, Daryl Johnson. They got off waivers before the season and boy, Amafe, who was like flying off the ball in preseason. So it's hard not to think, like, I don't know if Clint Hurt doesn't know what he's doing or he's over his head because he was a really respected defensive line coach who's never called defenses before, and this is supposed to be his bread and butter. But this just isn't a good look. And then KJ was talking about how they're lined up too far off the ball. Now they're not playing defensive line properly. And there's some areas you can just see they're weak, like Cody Barton just isn't a – he's just a below-average replacement-level player. Like, something like that. It's clear what the issue is. You can replace that guy. And we talked about all those linebackers in the draft, and they decided not to take any of them. So (laughs) that's a spot. But it's the most concerning thing to me for sure right now is just the defensive line because for years with Pete and with Hurt, and Hurt wasn't the defensive coordinator, I wasn't very high on Ken Norton Jr., but they were always good at stopping the run. There was a game here and there. That was always something that you could hang your hat on and then they would probably give up. They'd get killed in the passive game for other reasons. But yeah, the thing with Quandre and I don't know if they lack leadership or they lack just talent. But I didn't really understand why Quandre resigned in the first place. To be honest, I don't know if it was a money thing. But I, I, at this point in my career, I'd want to play for a team that I would have thought would have been closer to winning. Well, that's a story for another day. But yeah, it's just strange that I've seen people say they should have kept Bobby Wagner. I don't watching with the Rams like. He hasn't made any impact in the game at all. He gets his tackles and his PFF grades are high, but they've, he hasn't made an impact. I don't think other than a couple sacks, he's changed that defense. In fact, they've gotten a lot worse. So I don't think that was the answer. It's just, it's hard to point the finger and Pete oversees everything. And it's going to be really interesting to see if he has the stomach to stick with this, if this keeps looking this bad, but in this scheme where edge rushers and the front three are so important, they just don't have the horses to run it. And you can't fill an entire front seven in one off season. And again, Tariq Woolen's been great. Al Woods is fine. Outside of that, Kobe Bryant's forced a couple fumbles and Jordan Brooks did have his best game, but it's been absolute trash to watch. And I don't know where they go. Cause if you want to build the scheme, you really gotta, you really, you're going to have to replace your entire defensive line which is just absurd to think of it. I, I'm really concerned by Jeff because I, I was thinking of the Vic Fangio scheme is not the same as every 3-4 scheme, but there are some that they're from the same DNA. And when I was thinking of teams that have, uh, have been sort of playing this sort of 3-4 for a while now, and you think of teams like Pittsburgh, for example, and Baltimore, the one position they've really struggled to find answers in the last few years is linebacker. Is li- is that sort of middle linebacker? They've and they've they've drafted so Pittsburgh draft traded up and drafted uh, Bush in the in the first round a few years ago, and it just didn't work. And they were trying to replace Ryan Shazier, and then they're trying to fit guys in there. And they've and they've, they've tried free agent, they've tried everything. Baltimore obviously took Patrick Queen, and, and you know they've tried to fit guys in. They found it really hard to sort of find those linebackers. And I'm sort of watching Jordan Brooks and that they speak so positive about him. I think there must be a player in there, but for whatever reason, it's just not working. And I wonder if just if there's something about this scheme that unless you are called Vic Fangio and you've kind of got the secret source, that it's just, 
you're not protecting your linebackers enough, that they're not doing enough there. Now, obviously, with Pittsburgh, the thing that holds it all together is TJ Watt. They've been without TJ Watt. They're, they're giving up points. They're looking pretty crap. So, like, maybe if you put TJ Watt on the Seahawks, all of a sudden a, a few <laughs> uh, problems are masked, a few warts are covered. But unless you can get that game-wrecking edge, then it, it ain't going to work. And and I kind of feel like, well, if, if it's just about having a game-wrecking edge, you could play any scheme. They're going to help you. You could play Pete's scheme. If you had TJ Watt rushing the edge, it would work. So really, it's not so much that that this is a preferable scheme even. It's just that you've got to have special players. And how are you going to get those special players when you don't have a lot of money to spend? Good pass rushers are not going to reach free agency anyway. Well, and, and to add to your point, sort of cut you off, but the Chargers brought in Brandon Staley, who grew up with Vic and coached with McVay, and they got in Khalil Mack and J.C. Jackson, and they spent all this money, and they were a Super Bowl favorite. They stick on defense. And, God, I haven't thought about it until you brought this up, but, man, that's a good point. And the Vikings transition, they got hired Ed Donatel, who the Seahawks were actually trying to hire. They are giving up tons. Justin Fields wasn't throwing against anyone. He was throwing the ball all over them last week. And I think you, I think that's a great point. And uh, they, I, maybe they should revisit this whole thing because you look around the league and all the teams going through this transition, if they can't get Vic himself and the personnel he gets, it's, it's not just Seattle. It's happening everywhere. And you're right. And that might be a schematic flaw and just – a strategic, a strategic flaw from the Seahawks standpoint that they probably should have factored in a little more. Yeah, I think everybody's looked at Vic Fangio's defense and said that he's done a really great job. He can't be a head coach, but he's a great defensive mind. He's had success everywhere he's been. We want some of that. And it seems pretty clear that unless you have the man himself, it, it's not going to work. And Look, I think if the Seals can put an offensive product together that we're seeing right now, and I don't expect that it's going to continue forever, but if it's somewhat like this, I don't want to be held back by a, a dreadful defense. And I, it, to, be, to be honest, if you could go back to as boring and as frustrating as Carroll's defense and conservative as it can be sometimes, if, if this team could just stop the run right now and say, okay, we're going to, it's going to be a test for our linebacker, uh, for our cornerback, sorry, uh, but we're going to give them a shot. And, and to be fair, the way that Tariq Woolen's playing, I would think, why not? You know, let's see what he's what he's made of. That, to me, would at least be somewhat more comforting than what we're seeing. But I, I agree with you, and I agree with what KJ Wright was saying. You don't spend the whole of training camp practicing this to give it up after six weeks. You don't hire your defensive coordinator and, by all accounts, woo Sean Desai over when he probably had a lot of options to come and get rid of the scheme after six weeks and say, right, we're going to do something that you're not familiar with now. But then I look at this and like Daryl Taylor is currently the 110th ranked edge rusher out of 112. So he's the third worst graded edge rusher from, from PFF with a 37.1 grade, which is awful. And you see like Cody Barton, 47, Quinton Jefferson, 48, Ryan Neal, 51, Brian Monet, 52, Puna Ford, 54, Jordan Brooks, 54, Michael Jackson, 56. It's, it's really, really bad. And like the, the guys like, you know, Boya Mafe and Al Woods and Quandre Diggs are not grading that poorly. Tariq Woolen's doing well, middle of the pack for a cornerback, although his turnovers are suddenly, you know, a very big factor. People like Shelby Harris are grading well, 74.1, 23rd ranked D lineman, but he knows the scheme. And Yuchenna Wosu is 33 of 112, 73.8, knows the scheme. Maybe there is something to that. I don't know. But it, I, I don't know how you're going to implant those players who know the scheme and uh, and to sort of pivot a little bit to the draft. This is the other thing that people have been talking about, Jeff, is whether or not the Seahawks should abandon plans to get a quarterback and go defense as much as you can and try and load up. I've tried to push back a little bit on that, um, but on the the that will only spread as far as the number of people who actually read the blog because it seems like overall there's kind of like this it just draft defense is the sentiment, generally speaking. But I've, tr I've, tr I've watched so much tape, and I'm really struggling to find the defenders. There's an obvious, you know, Will Anderson's going to go in the top three. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody yet who I've seen as a defender who I can say that's a top 10 pick. There are guys that I like outside of the first round that I think you could come in and build around. 
um, some interesting guys who could provide some great value from round two all the way through to day three. I just, I can't, unless you're going to get Will Anderson and or trade up for him or you are in position to draft him and then you go and get a, a defensive lineman who maybe hasn't emerged yet or, you know, is it Brian Brassi or, you know, um, Taylor at Georgia? I, I, I don't really see how you fix it in the draft, Jeff. I, I'm struggling to find the solutions there. And part of me thinks if, if the answers aren't there, you've just got to play the hand you dealt. If it's a good quarterback draft, then you've just got to go and attack the situation and, 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 and handle it as it is. There's no point trying to force it. I don't want to end up with LJ Collier and Marquise Blair again from this Russell Wilson trade. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very tricky because, like you said, Will Anderson is the guy in this draft, but you got to get in the top three to get him. And if Seattle's playing offense like this, it's going to get hard to be in that three. And really, it's been a problem since they kind of turned over the Legion of Boom. Is Seattle just doesn't have the game-wrecking players. Bobby Wagner, that first year they did it was fantastic. 2018 was Bobby's best season. But if you watch every good defense in the league right now, there was that whole pass rush versus coverage thing. Uh, the analytics talked about it. I don't know. I thought it was crap. But – if you watch every disruptive defense, it's all these front seven guys that are just totally blowing up. Like watch what Micah Parsons does or TJ Watt. Like the splits TJ Watt with and without him are absurd. Just how competent they look and how incompetent they look when he's not on the field. And there's all these guys, and you watch the 49ers play, which has one of those guys at every level. And it's hard to picture a defense being good without something like that. And I know there was hope for Daryl Taylor and Mafe, whatever, but those guys are not take over the game kind of guys. I think even at Taylor's best, he was a complimentary kind of pass rusher. He flashed a lot last year, and we saw some, we saw just different energy from him. But looking at this draft, there's Will Anderson and then Jalen Carter. You don't know. I think the scouts in the NFL will like Jalen Carter more than what he's done. Like we saw him draft for Vaughn Walker, number one last year, and he had pretty crappy film, and he's been pretty good in the NFL. And Taylor got hurt. Carter got hurt in the first game, and he had that one crazy play. But really, since then, he was he was barely doing anything, and now he's out. So there's those guys at Clemson you talked about who are more name than game at this point. They haven't flashed enough to think, okay, if I draft Brian Brisey or Murphy or one of the other guys, Nolan Smith from Georgia, it's a lot of toolsy prospect raw kind of guys that you're going to hope – and you're not going to get Tariq Woolen's things hit every year. That was a once-in-a-10-year like, kind of pick. So you look, and a lot of the best prospects in this draft are on offense, unfortunately. The quarterbacks, the running back from Texas, the USC receiver Jordan Addison, the Ohio State receiver is taking a big step back, but the Notre Dame tight end, tight end's probably the best pick. He's great, but that's probably the one good spot on Seattle's roster right now that you probably don't need to worry about. All of those kind of game-wrecking players are on offense. So unless you get Will Anderson, who's the guy in this draft, there's some competent players for sure. There's You're going to be able to get a starting linebacker later in the draft, but I don't think there's a first-round linebacker in this draft. Like the guy from Oregon, Panay Sewell's brother, has not looked very good this year. And He's I went to the year thinking I was going to watch all the quarterbacks and Defense, they'll need a couple guys. Maybe you get better at pass rush. But now I, my mind has switched completely, and I don't think you're wrong. Like Jalen Carter is the one guy who I think will be drafted higher than he's playing. But if you don't get him, you saw Trevon Walker go top number one. So Carter could go pretty high too. Like if you're the 10th and 11th pick, like I think you can get some competent defensive players, but – how do you get the stud you need? And that's where they're in a really tricky spot where right now it's just looking like they can only really hope to just get out of this as a below average defense. Like there's no real path unless they start making wild trades to fixing this stuff. And again, this is just collateral damage of Jamal Adams trade, collateral damage of years of bad drafting. And now they're left in a spot where their offense somehow is kind of lucked into like, this unbelievable situation. <laughs> and they had they had a by what we called what we called was one of the best drafts in the NFL. I think right now it's by far the best draft in the NFL. And they've they're now oh their outlook on offense is fantastic, but defensively, ooh, it's it's scary out there because there's no real path. And again, 
even the best year for agency is not a great way to go. Next year's is bleak. So it's a really tricky spot where they're going to have to either get lucky or creative or because I don't see the path of how they fix their front seven. And that's really the crux of their issues. Got a few super chats. I want to run through those, and then I'm gonna. I've actually started to put my board together, so I'm just gonna sort of share a few thoughts based on that because people are asking about the draft. So Barney says, which positions to prioritize? By the way, Barney, thank you for that fantastic super chat. Really appreciate the support. Um, which positions to prioritize with the Denver Broncos picks? And he adds a let's ride, which I always, I'm always happy to indulge in a let's ride. So thank you for that. Um, or as, as we were saying in the the stream a week ago, where the defense is on the field for Seattle. Let's hide, because that's also the other option. Uh, which positions to prioritize? Well, I think we've talked about it a little bit. I, you know, right now, I do think you need a bridge. Gino can be the bridge, but he's 32. You know, even if you, if you, if you get three, four more great years out of him, you need the guy who's going to be 10, 15 years down the line. And I think if you take one now, the worst case scenario is, is it doesn't work out. You have to do it again in three years. Then do it. You know, you've got to constantly be looking for your next 10, 15-year quarterback. And so priorities for me, quarterback, and then a game-wrecking pass rusher. I wish there was more than one in this draft, but that's that's part of the problem. And um, I'm going to talk about some defensive uh, players in a while. But if you've got a question like uh, Bonnie, then send them in via Super Chat. Jack says, would you rather draft Will Levis or CJ Stroud and go with him day one? or draft Anthony Richardson or DJ used Clemson quarterback and sit a year behind Gino if still impresses. Jeff, have you got a thought on that? Uh, I would still rather draft Levis if you could. Even Levis, like, I think he's going to take time to adjust. I know he's a senior and he's transferred, but I think he still has some issues he needs to get figured out where he's turning the ball over a little too much and his skill set is unbelievable. And Stroud... Stroud is a little different. I, I think I don't think those guys are plug and play automatic. You can rely on them. I think if you can have a Levis or Stroud and sort of do the Smith Mahomes thing and take them to develop. The Anthony Richards thing is just he's a total project wildcard. He's got so much to he's like the Tariq Woolen of quarterbacks. He's got all the tools in the world, but his film this year has been pretty rough after that first game. And so I would still go with Levis and Stroud if you can get one of those guys, because again, you're hedging your bet on Gino. Gino could be come out next year and just return to what he was before. And then you're going to be like, why did we take this quarterback? So for me, yeah, yeah, it's Levis. I think if, if will, it depends where will Levis lands. I think if will Levis is drafted by the Carolina Panthers, I fear for him badly. Yeah. Cause that is a team that is not set up for success in the slightest. If will Levis found himself with the giants um, who were, who were winning with Daniel Jones, I could imagine him being, a, a force very very quickly because of his experience in in, a, in an NFL scheme. If he was able to join a team that is running a very similar offense to the Rams or the 49ers, even better. Um, I mean, if he was to end up in a really favorable situation, I think he could be terrific. I mean, in terms of I, my answer to this question, would be I'm I'm kind of easy. You know, I'm not I, I, Anthony Richardson. You are right. I have watched every one of Anthony Richardson's games. And there are some moments like that, that Kentucky game, you had to watch it through your fingers. It was that bad. <laughs> I mean, it was so bad. Um, and, and yet he's kind of rebounded a little bit from that. It's 10 against Tennessee. His last game, I mean, he had he had an interception late on, but he had this incredible scramble. He had this great throw on the run. And I think your comparison to Tariq Woolen, but the quarterback version, is very apt. I think that's what he is. And the thing with him is. I can't, I just can't, I've been saying this in a few videos, Jeff, I just can't quit Anthony Richardson. I just get the sense that if he was given time, you know, because I remember watching Josh Allen at Wyoming and he was awful. I mean, he, he was. was so he was. bad. And then he got to the senior bowl and I was thinking, oh, I can't draft this guy in the first round, no way. And then he turns up the senior bowl and he's like, what? who's that? That's Josh Allen. And like, he's <laughs> perfect. Like he had everything and he played the game at the senior bowl like, it was the Super Bowl, and he was throwing it around. He's, he's fantastic. And you think, okay, I'll try that. You know, give it a try. And, it, and he kept remember, he was a, he was a laughing stock. He was a meme in the first two years of his NFL career. He was. People were taking the piss out of Buffalo for taking him. And then all of a sudden, it just went light switches on. He's MVP candidate. And I, and with Richardson, I just wonder whether or not he might have two horrible years. But then, if the light switches on, you might have. Something special, and that's and and for that reason, I'm not going to give up on on the idea of Richardson. Mm -hmm. 
But I think that, you know, frankly, with any of those, I mean, I could pick apart Holes and Levis. He's, he, he just gets sloppy with his footwork at times, which leads to, and that's that's easier to nip in the bud, I think, than some of the issues that Stroud and Richardson have. Um, I'm not sure the Clemson quarterback deserves to be in that conversation, but um, yeah. I think Bryce Young perhaps does, but I, I'm not that keen on another short. Yeah, I don't want to go through that again. Yeah. And he got hurt the other day, and I'm thinking, oh, you yeah. know, I could just imagine, I can imagine him being another two away. He's like injured all the time. I, I um, do. <laughs> so the snail for five dollars has got a fantastic avatar there, which is an Abe Lucas jersey. Uh, I would be certainly purchasing one of those if I ever went over to Seattle. Uh, I want them to go best player available. Last time a top five quarterback won a Super Bowl on the team that drafted them was Eli Manning in 2012. Well, fine, but I, I did a little research. You know, Joe Burrow was in the Super Bowl last year and he was the number one overall pick. Josh Allen was a top 10 pick. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was a top 10 pick. I mean, if you actually run through the top quarterbacks, they were drafted generally quite early. So I'm not too sure that you should be avoiding that because of history. I mean, you don't want to miss out on the next Joe Burrow, do you? Because of, of a statistic like that. I think you've got to judge every case on its merit. But thank you for the $5 there, Snail. And Jason Tudor, five Canadian dollars, says, if this draft is that bad for defense, do you see the front office trading picks for uh, picks in 2024? I thought he was going to say for veteran players there, and I was going to say big fat no, thank you, given what's happened with uh, Jamal Adams. I wonder if they are willing to think that far ahead. I mean, maybe, Jeff, but I, to me, I, I think you, you can't keep pushing the thing down the road and oh, hoping that that's going to be the year when you can't just keep moving picks, moving. Oh, now there's a great draft. So we're ready to go in 2026. You know, that's, it can't be that way. You've, you've got to, you've got to start building this team. You know, you've, Carol is not, what is he? 72 now. He, he can't be waiting for, till he's 80 to be having a run here. Yeah. I'd say honestly, they're more likely to go the other way <laughs> where they start training picks for players or something like that. But yeah. I, I don't think either are good scenarios, but, I think what you just presented, not Rob, but the question was, I, I think that is very, very unlikely based on who's building this team and they, how they how they look at things. So I, I did say I was going to have a quick mention on the board. I mean, I, at the moment, I've got four quarterbacks in round one um, and then a whole bunch of guys from sort of round three onwards. So if you wanted to, I mean, look, and people will look at that and go, oh, great, just draft one in round three. But it's very hard to find those, you know, those starts. I know people just because Russell Wilson's done it and, you know, Kirk Cousins hasn't been a disaster and stuff like that. I still think that, you you know, you, you top four guys are the most interesting. I've got a couple of running backs uh, early, but hopefully the Silk's not going to go in that direction. I've put all, the bulk of the receivers that people know, so Smith and Jigba, Quinton Johnson at TCU, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers. I've got Bryce Ford Wheaton um, from West Virginia in the in round two range as well. I think there's some really good receiving options there. And look, if the Seahawks want to go and get another guy who can be a, number, a good number three, I think that there's, there's some depth to be able to do that after the first round. I am really struggling. I'm so glad they got two offensive tackles, Jeff, in the last draft, because I am, I am really struggling to find... Paris Johnson is the guy who gets drafted early. I've given him a round two grade right now. And there's still a lot of football to be played, but I'm not massively blown away by him. And Jalen Duncan at Maryland, I think he has to kick inside to guard. And I've got a round two grade on him as well. The one guy, people want a center. I think John Michael Schmitz at Minnesota plays with a real intensity and an aggression. I'm just not sure that he fits this offense because they, they've obviously taken Austin Blythe, who's small, Jeff, and he's with the Rams back. The Rams have a very small center as well, and they just extended and paid him. And by all accounts, reading that great article that John Boyle put out in the offseason, they had at least some interest in Tyler Linderbaum. So I, I'm not sure that they're going to go for the six foot three, 305-pound beast at center. I think it's always going to be a Blythe type while they're running this scheme. And to be fair, I don't think the schemes, although Artin Blythe's not grading particularly well, I think the team seems to be doing okay. This is kind of what I wanted to see, I think, from the offense under a McVeigh protege, and it's going okay. With the pass rushes, so obviously there's, there's Will Anderson who's, who's right at the top there, and, and he's going to go, go very, very early. The next guy that I've got on the list, Jeff, I don't know if you've seen any of him, is KJ Henry at Clemson. Yeah. So this is a player who I've got him in fringe first round. Great. So one, two at this point. He was a five-star prospect. He has... It's taken him until this year. So he's been there for a while. I think this is his sixth season with Clemson to really come to the fore, but he's considered a big heart and soul team leader of the defense. He is flying off the edge. He only has 1.5 sacks, but when you actually watch the tape, off the edge, off the edge, a constant threat. There is something that's just a little bit special about him. Now, because of the production being weak, I can't put him in the first round. But this is a five-star athlete 
who is going to do very, very well at the combine, who's playing well, and he's just somebody that I think people should keep an eye on in terms of that sort of fringe first, second round. And then there's a whole bunch of guys you could potentially take in round two. Will McDonald is too raw. He's not having a great season, but there's some potential there. Isaiah Foskey will fit this scheme, but I'm not sure that he's a game wrecker from Notre Dame. I know he's not a game wrecker. Miles Murphy, I think, is a little bit underwhelming, as is Derek Hall at, at Auburn. I'm not sure about his length. Mike Morris is doing well. I've got him in round two at the moment. And then sort of defensive tackle. You see, I, you, you were mentioning Jalen Carter. I, what, so the thing with Jalen Carter is that I... I'm sort of wondering how you the last the two, the fact that two tackles went early from Georgia last year. So Jordan Davis only went 13th overall, despite yeah. looking like Thanos. So it, it makes me okay. So if Carter's not got the um, and the other thing was that um, who's he got? Travon Walker, Devontae yeah. Wyatt, Devontae Wyatt, Travon Walker's first of all. Devontae Wyatt, yeah. Devontae Wyatt. So went in the 20s and Devontae Wyatt tested brilliantly. So if Jalen Carter tests brilliantly, you've got 13th and 27th overall, and people are putting him in the top 10. And I'm thinking, what separates him from those two guys? What makes him better is the question. Now, the one thing that I'm, I've got to take into account, Jeff, is that if it's such a weak top 10, people might go, well, he's maybe not a legit top 10, but he's better than him, 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 and him. So we're still going to take him in the top 10. But I'm not sure. I can't work out i would say usually he'd be in the Devontae wyatt range he may go earlier because there aren't alternatives but i'm struggling to place him in this this draft and i've i've currently got him in the fringe first round with marzi yeah. smith uh someone asked about gavon dexter in the um in the chat i've got a second round pick on him he's very flashy very exciting i'm i'm just sort of uh, I'm just I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of scheme fit Seattle, is that going to work? There's a, there's a nose tackle called Jacqueline Roy, who could be quite interesting if they don't have our woods for the long term, which is not going to. Linebacker, it's slim pickings. Trenton Simpson's the highest graded guy I've got in round two. And then you've got Drew Sanders, who I'm not, you know, I think he's okay for sort of top 50. I'm not sure if it's what Seattle really needs. He's more of a, I'd say he's a poor man's Micah Parsons. I've actually got Nolan Smith in round three. I don't see... I don't see anything that that's special about him at Georgia. People are saying first round. I'm not quite seeing that. I've got him with Noah Sewell in round three. The Washington State kid deserves a third round grade. The Alabama guy does. Ventron Miller is a guy who really interests me at Florida. He's been a massive playmaker for them. He's playing with a broken foot and still playing really, really well. So Ventron Miller's a name to keep an eye on. Can I give you a name at safety to keep yes. an eye on, Jeff? So, there's, well, there's two names. I like Christopher Smith that people will be aware of. He wears 29 for Georgia. Flies around the field. Free safety. Another guy to keep an eye on, okay, and I think there's actually some decent depth at safety this year in 2023. It's called Abraham Kamara, who plays for TCU. He wears number 14. Just watch TCU. You will, you will smile watching this guy because he hits like a hammer. I mean, honestly, he flies around the field. His coverage grades were amongst the best in the Big 12 uh, at the start of this, in the first month of the season. And he hits so well. Now, the downside is he also, his, his tackling technique is very inconsistent, should we say. He's had a couple of bad whiffs, which Silks fans will not want to hear. But when he hits you and he celebrates a hit, and I just watched him and thought, do you know what? If he is a junior, if he declares, I'm having some of that on day two or day three. I just liked the way that he played. It's just a little name that no one talks about. Really about. Uh, Jason says it's not. It's not Jeff. I don't know if I called him Jeff by accident. Uh, I think I probably did. I probably called him. I don't think he's saying anything to you there. <laughs> I think <laughs> I probably called I think I called him Jeff by accident, but just a few names there to to sort of throw away because look, they've got to do something, Jeff. I'm I'm somewhat intrigued to see how it, it's kind of like the, I'm intrigued to see the team on offense and I'm intrigued to see the team on defense and uh um, I don't know. Maybe it won't be the worst thing if the offense regresses a little bit and the defense. But but then what do we want this year? What do we want? Do we want them to win? Do we want uh, them to, I don't it's know. It's a really tricky thing right now because, yeah, big picture, they crushed this last draft. The whole year was supposed to be like who finding the foundation players. And they've got some really good ones. Like if you looked at their roster, Rob, how many times on our show have we talked about how shitty their roster looked and how they were just finding scotch tape solutions to solve Russell Wilson. And now they have all these guys, the two tackles and Woolen and Metcalf is getting better. And 
that Geno Smith is playing like a top five quarterback, but we're still left in this weird spot where I don't, I'm watching them every week and I was like kind of annoyed they lost last game, but long-term they kind of need to lose. So I'm really, I'm really, in a tr- I'm really confused almost right now because like Geno's been so much fun and the offense has been fun. Again, they could reasonably be four and one with this defensive roster. And so it's, it's a really weird spot right now where I, it's kind of a win for the Seahawks fans that were even watching them and cheering for them because I did not think that was going to be the case this year. But yeah, it's just, it's a weird spot because they need to get in that prime position to get blue chip talent. So the only thing I don't mind about the defense being this bad is I think the worst thing that could happen for this organization is false hope. And we've just seen it so many times. So I think the one silver lining is if they're this bad, at least they will go into the off season with a clear knowledge of a okay, and like Daryl Taylor for last year, I don't know if it's a scheme thing. That might've been false hope and look what it led to. And Jamal Adams and his flashes have led to false hope. And Russell Wilson to an extent was false hope. So I think that really the, the, what I'm hoping for is that we do see some progress with some guys who we think are going to be part of this thing on defense. But right now I think we need to hope that they can come up with a clear plan of how to fix this because yeah, it's fun if we want them to win now, but I think the worst thing that can happen is them like slide into that last wild card spot, kind of take them out of any quality player. And then what are you left with for the future? So I think watching them, it's clear they don't have enough talent on defense. And as much fun as their offense, I think what's been happening is I, I think you want them to be competitive and maintain a point where maybe you do keep Gino, but I think you want them to be drafting in the top 10. I don't know if that's for us or with Denver, but they need just that influx of talent. And we've seen what Woolen's done. So it doesn't have to be in the first round. Having the top 10 pick in every round, like Abraham Lucas, getting him in the third round, that's completely changed their long-term outlook. So I think draft position is still, to me, the most important thing. Yeah, I would tend to agree. I mean, the thing that makes me pause for thought a little bit is that I was thinking exactly the same way in 2010. I can remember going into that Rams game in week 17 thinking, I don't really want the Silks to win this game. Like winning the division at seven and nine is a bit embarrassing. Um, the dra- you know, we will just get eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. It's going to be like false hope. And then if they'd had lost that game to the Rams, we would have never had the beast quake. And then I you, know. you know, and, and you just think, well, you couldn't live with that now. You couldn't live without that rather now. So, so you think, well, it could something similar happen this year that kind of is almost creates the next big thing just by that one moment that one big play i don't know but but then those things are so rare they don't have marshall lynch anymore well so. we've gotten gino like gino's been incredibly fun yeah i i, I it's hard it's, i was exactly the same as you when ken walker ran that i was watching the game on an ipad in, a, in the back of a car driving back from the london game and when ken walker ran that and i was with a cowboys fan and a giants fan in the car and as that they were running that touchdown in I'm thinking, I, I want the Seahawks to win right now. I was kind of thinking, I want them to win. You know, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. And then when they lost it on the play that lost it to Taysom Hill, it really oh. pissed me off. Like if it was a, br- a piece of brilliant drive and it was just a methodical drive that took the clock out, I'd go, ah, but okay. Because it was that one play, it kind of, you know, when you see a play like, and you think even I could do a better job on defense than, than what they did on that. Yeah, you, know, so you, you just think this is ridiculous. You know, and it really pissed me off that they lost it in that way. Um, and that, and that was the frustrating thing. But then afterwards, you kind of say, yeah, well, okay, it's another loss closer to picking where they need to be. I just look at the league, Jeff, and there's you know, the Panthers are already in tank mode now. They've fired the coach. They're probably going to have a fire sale um, before the deadline on the 1st of November. Right yeah, and there's, and there's a few others. I mean, I, I would expect that the Raiders are going to get a little bit better. I, I don't know how a team with Devontae Adams and, and some of the players they've got can be quite Chiefs that bad. On Monday. And and then you've and you've got a couple of others down there that are unsurpri- that surprisingly down there. I'm trying to think who they who they are. I mean, it's a good thing that the Giants are playing well. Okay, Damn. here we go. So the Steelers are down there. Will the Steelers get better? I'm not sure, but they're not in the race for a quarterback, Jeff. I mean, they would be in the race for Will Anderson because who wouldn't want another great pass rusher? But um, you know, you've got Detroit, <laughs> who are you know Detroit's defense is as bad as Seattle's, but they're not going to stick with Jared Goff forever. Washington, they've put so much into their defensive line that they're, they're plugging holes at quarterback. You would think that they'd be in the market for that. Houston, you know, Houston need everything. And yeah. if they keep losing, they're not going to stick with Davis Mills. The Falcons have drafted Desmond Ritter and they need defense badly. I mean, they may, that they'd have a decision to make. 
I mean, I, don't, I have no idea what the New Orleans Saints, New Orleans Saints, were doing trading away their pick next year to to the Eagles. I mean, like, here, Eagles, have a top ten pick. That's just what the Eagles need right now. Oh, and the AGM has had their pants down. And then Seattle and, and Denver at, at ten and eleven. So we've got the ten and the eleven pick right now. I mean, there's a few teams I'd like to be ahead of there, Jeff. Uh, or the only other option is that maybe someone like the Raiders is as bad as they are now and they present an opportunity to trade up. But how much would you be willing to trade up to go to number two? You've got two first and two seconds. How much are you willing to give up to go to number two, whether that is for Will Anderson or whether that's for Will Levis, CJ Stroud, or a and other? Man, that would be so fascinating if they trade up to two and take Will Anderson. A lot of the fan base would... I would, I would be into it, but a lot of the fan base would not be happy to trade up for a non-quarterback. And on Will Anderson, you sent me a message the, uh, the other day saying that you thought I was underrating Will Anderson. So you tell me, because I because my position on Will Anderson was, I think he's really good. I don't think he's Miles Garrett. I don't think he's a Bosa brother. But I, I don't. that doesn't mean that he's not good. That just means for me that he's not he's not going to be Nick Bosa, which is, yeah. I think it's fair. Oh, well, he's the best but, defender. But what, but, but what do you think? But, you know, you, if you, you, what, what have you seen from him? What is your assessment of Will Anderson? I have him on that level with the Bosa's and Garrett. I, I was talking to someone in the league of scouts who said he's the most fun defensive prospect they've studied since Von Miller. Uh, I saw the last game. He, he reminds me actually a lot of Von Miller, just how he's built. Von Miller isn't the most maybe technical sound pass rusher in the league so i don't know if you'd expect that but just from a build and a style of play they're very similar so i see i think as a prospect he's looked at very similar as how vaughn was graded at so i do think he's at that level of those guys and he had like 13 pressures in his last game in the sec like just watching our pass rushing woes and watching a guy who got 13 pressures in a game <laughs> it's just so for me i think he's there that good i would be pumped I think he's the exact, and I've been saying it for years. If you watched every one of the playoff games last year in the NFL, almost every one of them, including the Super Bowl, that blue chip pass rusher took over the game. It was Aaron Donald. It was like the Titans won one of the – the Titans lost their playoff game, but Jeffrey Simmons had a great game. Uh, there was multiple games where San Francisco played Green Bay and San Francisco's defense just took over the game. And I think it's going to be very hard for Seattle to really progress, especially with who their head coach is without one of those guys. And you can't buy them in free agency unless you get Vaughn Miller, but I don't think Seattle – like the Raiders paid a ton of money for Chandler Jones this year, and he looks a little washed up. And he's now kind of the complement to Max Crosby. If you watch the Monday night game, Max Crosby was an absolute monster. So they don't have to be in the top ten. But you just need a guy like that. And the Chiefs have Chris Jones. He's been that kind of player. And they've made the playoff runs. And – Tampa Bay got Shaq Barrett, who took over that playoff a couple of years ago. And just watching Seattle, there just isn't anything close to that. And I don't know. They Instead of that Jamal Adams trade, that's where they should have put the money. Watch Cam Jordan the other day just blow up a couple plays that, like when he read that screen pass or he blew past Adrian Lucas. It's just they need someone like that. And Will Anderson is a prospect on that level. I don't know if he'll be that. But Chase Young hasn't quite lived up to what he was kind of lived up to coming out of Ohio State. So you never know with these guys. But it's really hard to have like a defense that disrupts an offense consistently without that guy. And Micah Parsons is the best example of what we've seen recently and how he's changed that whole team. Yeah. I mean, my um, when I watched Will Anderson last year, uh, the first thing I noticed is he was number 31. I'm desperate to know if it's because he likes the <laughs> yeah. chancellor. Um, and, the, and the other thing was that I just couldn't believe what I was watching. Like, he was just unbelievable. I mean, like, there is not a player. I mean, I don't know if this has ever happened before. I don't, I'm not a historian on college football, but he had 33 and a half tackles for a loss last year. There are yeah. teams that don't have 33 and a half tackles for a loss. 33 and a half. Like, usually if you get 17 and a half tackles for a loss, you would say that's a good season. He had 33 and a half tackles for a loss and 17.5 sacks last year. And this year it's down. So he's got 10 TFLs and five sacks. And um, I, he has not played as well this year. I wonder a little bit, Jeff, and this is the one thing that I have thought about a little bit. I remember when Miles Garrett burst onto the scene and everyone was like, this is the next big thing. And you could just tell. You could just tell watching him as a sophomore that he was going to be the next big thing. And then in his final year, he was not as good. He was he was he was still Miles Garrett, but he was kind of reined in somewhat. And yeah. part of me wonders whether Will Anderson's thinking the most important thing for me 
is to get out of this year and get to the NFL. Or he's just sort of measuring himself. He's still playing well, but he's not got his hair on fire every week like he had last year when he had to prove himself. And I just wonder if there's a little bit of that. I'd have no issue with the Seahawks traded up or if they took Will Anderson instead of a quarterback because I think you, you've, you're getting a really good player and that's all I ever think you want from the draft. And it's not as if Will... I mean, as much as I love Will Levis, um, check out the interview if you've not already on the channel. I love Will Levis. I can't... I can't. It, it'd be different if it was, you know, a Trevor Lawrence type. I mean, like, it's, he's not in that sort of ballpark where you just... Or an Andrew Luck where you go, they just can't take anybody else other than that if they have an unbelievable yeah. pick. So... I don't have an issue with it. I would, if ideally you get Will Anderson, and then maybe you do take the Anthony Richardson at number ten or whatever, and you go, okay, we've got the future at quarterback. But in the meantime, here's this guy. And by the way, we've got two second round picks. That yeah. would be ideal, but that's probably not going to happen unless they have a horrible run and Geno Smith turns back into a pumpkin and the defense continues to to play this way. Because right now, the team's worse than Seattle, who are going to lose more games. Jeff, it's it's. It, I know it is. Imagine being a Panthers fan right now. I mean, there's always somebody worse than you, isn't there? There's always somebody worse than you. Jeff, it's been a pleasure having the hour with you. It's always great to have you on. I know people love when you were on a live stream, and it's always very very popular. So, really appreciate your time. Um, Silksdraftblog.com for more analysis. Loads of draft notes on there this week. Curtis has got a, a quarter of the season review, which is going to come on the blog tomorrow. We'll have all of the usual stuff at the weekend as well around the college football and the instant reaction to the Seahawks game, which may kick off later, which I'm not very pleased about because it means a later start for me. Uh, if the baseball is continuing, I have no idea what the score is there. But if uh, any Mariners fans, good luck to you guys. Uh, I hope you get through against Houston. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to the channel, like the video. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.